This story is, this scripture is David's song to God after Nathan had confronted him about Bathsheba. Being king must have gone a little bit to David's head. He may have thought of himself above every law of God. He set aside all his morals and ethics and and followed the way of selfish desire. He looked upon Bathsheba, she bathed, brought her into the palace, had an adulterous relationship. When she was with child, he tried to, to cover it up by having Uriah come in. And again, when Uriah decided not to, they sent him to the front lines of battle where he was slain. This is not a sin of impulse. It was planned and carefully thought out. David wasn't caught up in some circumstance beyond his control. But he put great effort into concealing this sin. The psalm reveals David's folly, but it also reveals his restoration. It's the psalm of a, of a changed heart. David's story could be told and, and retold under a hundred different scenarios. Maybe you relate to this psalm. This morning I want to relate a, a, a not a similar, but a, a story in my life and how I dealt with this. When I was younger, I was daddy's girl. I was the first child. I was, I was perfect, you know. This is where you laugh. Yes. <laughs> I had it all laid out. I had everybody fooled that this was, this was who I was. And my brother, the younger child and a boy at that, he got into all kinds of trouble and I let him. Yeah. One day in particular, we had a great playhouse in my parents' backyard and, and our mud pies just were not baking up the way they should have been with the sun. And so we needed to add a little fire if you get my drift. So I tell my brother, I believe he's five at the time, go inside and grab one of mom's pots. He does. He does, okay? So then uh, we begin collecting sticks. And I was like, you know, it's going to take something to, to light these sticks. So go inside, Andrew, and get the newspaper. And again, he does. So he goes inside and he gets the newspaper. And I said, now ball up the newspaper and put it. My hands are clean of this. You get what I'm saying? So he's doing all the work. Finally, I tell him to go inside and get the flamethrower, the little aiming flame. And again, he does. So he comes out and I was like, okay, now put the fire on the newspaper. Newspaper lights very quickly. Did you know this? And so within a matter of minutes, our stove for cooking mud pies, Addie's really perked up right now, a little nervous to tell this. All of a sudden it erupts and there is fire going up the side wall of our playhouse. Well, thankfully, my father has taught us enough about this. We quickly go and get dirt, not our mud pies, and we put the fire out, but not before it had singed a good portion of the wall going up. So for a while in our, in our life, Andrew and I were sitting there and, and we're discussing how we should go about this. What should we do? One mother's pot is ruined. She doesn't cook that much anyway is what I thought, but you know... <laughs> Um, I hope she's not listening right now. Uh, Sorry, mom. But um, the other part is they don't really come out to the playhouse that often. So maybe, maybe if we're just quiet, we can get away with it. We did not think to look at ourselves. We were just looking at the scenario. And of course, my brother is covered in soot and I'm clean. 
My hands are clean of this, right? Because I know how to wash my hands and boys at that age did not. So he gets in trouble and I let him. I let him take the full force of the punishment. I I let my mom and dad think that I was over here doing my own thing and he was the one doing the fire. He couldn't convince them otherwise. And it wasn't until just a few years ago that I actually admitted guilt to this. And thank goodness the statue of limitations had surpassed in my parents' mind that I wasn't experiencing that punishment. But as a kid and, and even in high school, I I remember that scenario. In fact, it stuck with me so much that I remember it today. I remember the guilt I felt watching my brother, but I also knew that I didn't want to experience that. We get this psalm today, and again, my silly story from childhood doesn't relate to this, but but we get our psalm today, and it speaks of a heart that is crying out to God. That they've experienced something in their life so much that they need God. Have you ever been there? The sins, the brokenness, what we feel, it just pulls us down. In fact, a word that that David uses in this song this morning is a contrite heart. Verse 17 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. When David speaks of this heart, he speaks of, of bowing down with an awareness of his spiritual bankruptcy, of how he came to a point where he was all spent. There was nothing left within him. A contrite heart is that our inner spirit is crushed with a sense of guilt, a sense of wrongdoing. That we have a genuine and deep sorrow, a genuine and deep sorrow for our rebellion against God. And we desire to live differently. A contrite heart does not seek to to rationalize or explain or excuse or defend or even justify. I'm real good at that. My brother, he did all of it. He went and got the pot. He went and got the fire. He he lit it. He, we justify, we put it on other people instead of accepting ourselves. But a contrite heart doesn't do that. A contrite heart doesn't try to fool God or others, or even ourselves. It recognizes that God demands truth and God demands honesty. A contrite heart does not merely a bad feeling or remorse from sin. It is is changing lives of, of doing differently, living differently. It doesn't seek to blame others or people or God for their own circumstance. Maybe you remember in the the story of Genesis when Adam said, that woman that you gave me, she handed me the fruit and I ate it. And then going to Eve and, and Eve points to the serpent, he deceived me and I ate it. Adam blamed God and Eve and she blamed the serpent. You can just hear David doing something like that, can't you? Blaming God or or blaming Bathsheba. You know, God, if you hadn't made me king, I wouldn't have been walking on the roof of the palace at night anyway. 
Or maybe we do the same thing. Well, Lord, if I wasn't married to this jerk, I wouldn't have to cheat. It's not my fault. My boss is so cheap. I need to steal from the company. If I didn't have such terrible neighbors, I wouldn't lose my temper as much. If my children would just behave, I wouldn't say the things I do. You see, a contrite heart recognizes the sin within us. It recognizes that sin is this this crime, this spiritual crime, and it's a violation of God's laws. A contrite heart recognizes that sin is an offense against all that is decent and moral and right. A contrite heart recognizes that sin is rebellion, that it is disobedience, that it is stubbornness in our heart. When we become aware of our sins, our iniquities, transgressions, and we experience that contrite heart, we need to know that God isn't interested in these half-hearted, empty apologies. Maybe you've said something like this, God, I I know at some point today I've sinned, so if you'll forgive that, I'd appreciate it. But a contrite heart recognizes the deeper matter It goes to the core of what it is. God, forgive me for what I've said. Forgive me for what I've done. Forgive me for what I have left undone. God desires a broken and contrite heart, which is a true sacrifice of one who determines to turn away from our sin and to abandon it. But more than a contrite heart, David is speaking and he goes to confession. We've heard this saying, right? Confession is good for the soul, but not always for the backside, right? I grew up with that portion, yeah. (laughs) David spoke and he says in verse three and four, for I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge, If you hear in this portion, there are two sides to his confession. He confesses to himself, I've sinned. My sin is before me. I know what I have done. I know where I have messed up. It haunts me. The memory is there. It follows me. We've heard the saying, it's just a little white lie, right? And what happens? It grows and grows and grows. So he confesses to himself, which I think we miss a lot of times. I'm not that bad. Or we think that what we do isn't bad. What we leave undone isn't that bad because I didn't do anything. But he confesses to himself. And then he confesses to God. Against you only have I sinned. Along with this admission of guilt is a confession of God's correctness and justice in judging him for his sins. David makes no plea for leniency or permissiveness, no claim that God is being too harsh. He simply put, he says, I am wrong, but you're right. If we're going to be genuine in our confession, we need to know that a sin isn't just a blip or a mistake a little bit of mischief. It is a sin, it is is wrong, it's an intentional act in what we do and what we say. Sometimes we have the, the wrong attitude for sin. 
It's okay, it's just this little thing. But we need to know that that we have a a hatred for sinning, a disgust, a complete disapproval for when we sin against God and against others. When we do, it brings us to the cross of Christ. It's at the cross where we do not hide our sins, but we confess them and trust a Savior to just wipe them away. Solomon said, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. To confess demands the honesty of us, of who we are. Isaiah said, woe is me for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. It was Peter who falls at the feet of Jesus and said, depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. The publican smote his breast and he prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Peter, who declared it is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance that that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. You see, we've all sinned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've sinned against one another, even against our friends and our family. But we have the right spirit, the right heart within us, a broken and contrite heart. When we seek that confession and the confession to Christ, we receive the cleansing. Verses 7, 9, and 10 of our passage this morning, purify me with hyssop. Another version says, purge me, wash me, and I shall be clean. I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 9 says, hide my face, hide thy face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David recognizes the filth within him. David recognizes the wrongdoing he's done. And he uses those words of scrubbing, of getting it out, of cleaning everything. And he says, blot out my iniquities. It's the image of an eraser where a mark is totally obliterated, wiped away, completely removed. And then he says, create in me a clean heart. David knew the the inclination of one's heart is to sin. He knew that every intent of the thoughts of the heart was only for evil. It's not David's desire anymore or God's intent to just gloss over the situation or indulge in sin. The sin had to go. It had to be removed. And it's the same within us. But the beauty of this day is that we get to come to the table of Christ, the table of grace. And we can experience that cleansing. Part of our liturgy liturgy that we proclaim in, in, in the great Thanksgiving and Holy Communion is that everyone is invited to this table. You who repent of your sin. We have a corporate confession where all of us together say that that we have sinned and fallen short. We've not loved our neighbors. We've not been an obedient church. We've not done your will. We've, We've sinned against each other. And so as you come, as you come to the table of grace, 
Let that be our corporate confession, but may you have a confession in your own heart. God, I have sinned and fallen short. I have turned away. And then when we hear the glorious words that in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. It's not just a corporate you, it is you individual. We each are cleansed of our sins. And it's with a boldness and a, and a faith within us that then we then proclaim with loud authority, glory to God. Amen. Let it be. David was speaking out of a heart that's experienced forgiveness. From a heart that has sinned and sinned greatly. We each have sinned. But you too can have the cry, the song of your heart to be that of cleansing, of wholeness, of a uniting with God. So let us come to the table Come to the table of grace and experience God's love, his mercy, and his forgiveness. Will you join me as we pray? Gracious and mighty God, you bring us now to this place. In our love of you, we ask for forgiveness. That you would forgive us our sins and that you would lead us to a whole life with you. Convict our hearts now, Lord, but as we come, would you open us to your mighty blessing in this place? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.